powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello there, Duvall Nation. Hi, hello. Hey, thanks everyone. Thank you. Please, please, thank you. Sit down, sit down. Thank you. Hello to all my members of Duval Nation, and thanks for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Derek Duvall Show. Thank you. I am Derek. I am thrilled you decided to hop on board for another half-hour journey into the realm of extraordinary people. So happy to have you with us, and boy, do we have a good one for you today. Before we start, I want to throw a huge shout-out to Kyle Einhorn and Matt Bauman for our last episode. Episode 56 has cracked our top five most downloaded and streamed episodes of all time. I always kind of forget the magic and attention the band flew of Matt commands. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, I encourage you to seek it out after the end of this episode, of course. It's a great listen. And speaking of which, I want to throw a big shout out to one of my musical heroes, Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsey caught COVID and had to cancel the rest of his North American tour and postpone his European tour as well. From those I have heard from who know him and are on the tour with him, he's had a really bad go of it. So sending out the very best wishes of Duval Nation for a speedy recovery. So welcome to episode 57. We have on the show a real special guest. You know, you take Derek Duval to task to provide the best guests, and I always deliver. And today is even better than normal. We have on the show today Paralympian and Junior World Track Champion Beatrice Hatz is on the show. She'll be discussing overcoming her handicap, excelling in track and field, the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics, and so much more. Lots to get into, so let's not waste any time. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome all the way from Colorado, the absolutely amazing Beatrice Hatz. Beatrice, hello. Welcome to the show. How is the weather out there by you today? Good morning. The weather seems pretty good. Colorado's been, you know, it's, you know, it gets really chilly in the mornings and at night, but the afternoon always seems to get pretty warm. I start my interviews off with the same question, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic? <laughs> it's been been a little tough, but I have a really good support system. My family's really great, and they've been there for me the entire time. So there's been a lot of ups and downs, just like I assume everybody else has had. But my family has definitely made it so much easier for me. Every journey has a beginning, and yours starts in Westminster, Colorado. Am I correct? Yes. And also, I am to understand you were born without a fibula bone in your right leg that required an amputation at an extremely early age. Tell us how you learned to overcome this challenge. What was it like for you growing up? Oh, growing up was really tough for me. I was very insecure, very self-conscious about it. I actually never wore shorts. And, like, I always wore jeans or leggings or sweatpants to school 
all the way up until I was 17 years old. When I was 17, that was my first time ever wearing shorts out in public because I was that afraid to be judged by other people. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that at the time I was very ashamed of. And growing up, I was just very, I was like in denial that I was disabled. Right. I wanted to be able-bodied so bad that I convinced myself, okay, well, if I can look it, I am. Finally, when things changed, when I wore shorts, it was because I had gone to this track meet in Arizona, which is called um, Desert Challenge. And basically, this was my first meet with a whole bunch of the disabled track and field community. So once I saw all these people, I was like, oh, there's, there's so many of us. There's no reason for me to feel this way. And so that opened my eyes and completely changed how I felt and to overcome a lot of bullying but also I think my biggest issue was just mostly self-esteem because I'm so hard on myself more so than other people and with other people I could kind of deal with it if they're just being rude or mean or I, I stick up for myself all the time very quickly like I had no problem doing that as a child I was pretty straightforward and blunt with people and tell them, hey, I don't like you. Don't be mean to me. Or, you know, so I dealt with that pretty easily. The bullying wasn't actually the toughest part for me. It was my, my self-esteem. You said earlier that you went to a meet and you saw other amputees. Do you find safety in numbers? Is it a tight community? And do you keep in contact with the other athletes? I do keep in contact with a lot of them. The majority of the people I keep in contact with are the people who made the national team. So you kind of stay closer together with them because you see them more often at track meets. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend, Alexa Halko, she's, you know, she's been on the team and she's my roommate every time we travel. And so I talk to her every day. We are going to discuss the track meets in a few moments, but I watched some video highlights of you on YouTube to prepare for this interview. You use the blade prosthetic. Now, I have seen many other amputees who are athletes use it as well. Do you have different blades for different activities like walking, et cetera? So they have different prosthetics for everything. So you could have one for swimming. You could have one for hiking or snowboarding or running. So I have one specifically for sprinting. I have another one for weightlifting and uh, a third one for just walking around. Very cool. So at what age did you decide you want to do track and field? Well, it's kind of funny because I didn't want to do track and field, really. I'm I'm quite stubborn. And um, I had a friend at the time who was like, Beatrice, you beat me at softball and basketball. I, I know what I'll beat you at track because, mind you, my prosthetic weighs about five pounds. So she just thought this would be an easy win. And uh, the bet basically was just um, who can make one varsity track meet first as a freshman, never have done the sport before, and whoever wins that bet gets bragging rights, and I won. And so eventually I started off first with my walking legs in track and field. And then I told my parents I wanted to do it again next year, so they got me another prosthetic, which was actually more for cross country, but luckily I I had it, you know, it's better than a walking leg. And 
after I used that, then I went to that track meet in Arizona. I went to Desert Challenge where a man saw me running and he works for CAS and he told my parents, he was like, hey, that's the wrong leg for her. And I can give you guys to get to you guys the right leg for her. And it took me like a month to learn how to run on it before I made the Junior Worlds team. That's awesome. Who are your role models and inspirations you look up to when you compete? I would say somebody that I I look up to would probably be Tatiana McFadden. Mm-hmm. And she's just so great at everything. It's it's crazy. And I, I finally got the opportunity to be roommates with her in Tokyo. And it was, it was the coolest thing. I was so starstruck. But she's just so humble and so good at everything that it's like, dang, I want to be like that one day, you know? <laughs> Amazing. So what does a tryout for Team USA look like? And what do you remember from when you were told you made the team? My first time was a junior USA team. This was for people 21 and under to go to the Junior World World Championships in 2017. And this was when I had like just started track, really, like on a real blade. So I had done it for like two years but not very well and then it was just really cool the process was different you know you have to go to certain track meets and you have to run a certain time we have standards so like there's an a and a b standard and so you have to have at least 90 percent of one of the standards i think the a and then you have to have your b standard um in order to qualify i think and i just hit one of those times and I didn't even know it at the time and one of my friends was like oh I think I think you should be okay he was the first guy to introduce me to to para his name is Garrison and he was like yeah you should be fine you you just have to hit this time because this is your qualification and so each disability group is set to have different times so, for example, I'm a below-the-knee amputee, so I will be running a lot faster in the 100 meters than a above-the-knee amputee. Mm-hmm. So we have different standards. So every class has their own standards, and you have to hit it in order to make the team. And I hit it without knowing it, and I got this phone call. I was in the car with my mom, and she put it on speaker, and they were like, congratulations, you made the team, you're going to Switzerland, you're going to represent the United States. And I was so excited. We're in the car. I'm like so juiced and jump out of the car and running around outside. Just so, so excited. It was the coolest thing ever. And I won't forget that. And I'll never forget the first time I received my USA kit. I put it on right away. My mom's taking pictures. It was just, it was cool. Does that guarantee a special meal, like going to a steak restaurant or something like that? My my dad made me my favorite food. <laughs> nice. So you competed in the World Para-Athletic Junior Championships in Switzerland. Tell us what it's like to finish with two golds, which right there is absolutely amazing, and a silver. Uh, when you hear the phrase junior world track champion, how does that make you feel? Well, at the time, I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. But now looking back at it, I'm like, dang, I kind of wish I had a Paralympic medal. So that kind of 
it's not that it doesn't mean anything to me, but it was a different chapter where I just wasn't as good as I am now. And it was also, I was younger. I didn't have the technique. I mean, my, my running form was atrocious and I don't know how I managed to do that, but you know, juniors is a whole different ball game from, you know, the, the actual Paralympics. Did you enjoy Switzerland? Oh yeah. They, the chocolate was so good. I have a few friends who have a summer home there and they send me pictures the views are absolutely stunning. Okay, Devon Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break to acknowledge two friends of the show. Use this time wisely to refresh your drink, do a nice big stretch, and we will be right back. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovic, a.k.a. Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories, I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many this body ailments. what happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm trying. Henry's trying. We're all trying. But when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat soon! In today's story, Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hello there, Giggle Water Gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul mouth comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take that aliens did not build the pyramids, serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking, Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghost of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay in the dirt. 
Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. Let's not waste any more time and get right back to the show with the conclusion of our interview with the Paralympian, Beatrice Hatz. Okay, so this is the part everyone who knew you were going to be on the show was excited for me to ask you about. You competed in the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. What do you remember about getting to Japan, and what was the opening ceremony like? Well, so getting into Japan was pretty difficult. You had to have, like, so many different papers that you had to print out with your COVID test, your results. You had to print out just so much stuff to get in. And we were at the airport for about six hours trying to get into the country, and it was just like really tough and long and they had separate COVID screenings, even though you paperwork, they gave you another COVID test after, um, after landing. And so got the entire team sitting there and we're just waiting for so long. And because so many people, they did not want to separate, separate us into little groups to make it go by faster. They were just like, Nope. You got to wait until the absolute last person is done. And so it was just such a long process. And the opening ceremony? We went in just to kind of walk through. We had the option to walk through and just come back. If you were going to compete soon, they still give you the opportunity to walk and stuff because it was so long that it just isn't a good idea if you're going to be on your feet, especially if you compete the next day, you most likely will not go. But I went, I was like, this is my first Paralympics. I don't, I don't care. Like, this is an experience you have to have. And it, it was the coolest thing ever coming up. And we're all wearing the same thing, like our Ralph Lauren stuff. And it was so cool to, like, they had the tailor there and stuff. It was specifically fit to your body. It was so cool. Mm. And we just took pictures for like 30 minutes. It was almost like a homecoming type of thing. And it, it was really cool. You got to walk with your friends. And although it was a lot of walking, it was worth it. It's an experience that you'll never forget at all. So I hear the Olympics Village is segregated by country, but was there an area where members from different nations could meet and mingle? We didn't really try to talk to other countries just because of COVID. There was a lot of concerns that, you know, oh, you're going to get COVID from another team and then bring it to our team. So kind of stay within your own group. But the the common area, I guess, would have been the, the cafeteria, the dining hall. And that's just where everybody's at. And it doesn't matter where you are, you know, all the all the countries are there. Everybody's there, and we're all eating the same food. So it's it, it was a pretty cool place, and you can really talk to too many people because of the plastic dividers. Um, we got like super long tables, and there's just dividers on your left, your right, and right in front of you. If you wanted to speak to somebody, you had to sit next to them because you couldn't hear them if you were across from them. Now this is an interesting one. How do you get yourself into the competitive zone? Well, I'll try to do my warm-up. I listen to music 
and I just kind of try to stay focused or um, it just kind of depends. There's some days where I'll show up and I'll be like, you know what? Today I feel like a less stressed out Beatrice will do better. Mm. So I'll, I'll take my time during my warm up, do little dances and, you know, have a few little energy drinks and be on my little way. But then other days I'll wake up and it'll be like right out of bed. You're like, all right, focus. Your, your mindset is okay. This, this is what's going to happen during the race. I want to execute this way, blah, blah, blah. And so I think about that before bed usually, but when you wake up, it's always different. You know, you just got to feel, feel it out. See how you feel. In Tokyo, you finished fifth in long jump six in the 100 to 200 meter dash. How did you feel after competition was over? Uh, to be honest, I was pissed. <laughs> I was not, not too happy with it because I don't know. I'm just so stubborn and so hard on myself that I was like, you know what? If it's not top three, it's not anything. And at the moment, you're just so heated and so just upset. But looking back at it, I'm like, okay, top 10 in the world for my first time. You know, a lot of different things happened that, you know, did, that could have been, you know, mm-hmm. better. But, you know, now, now I know and now, like some people know not to, you know, drop off some bad news during the games or stuff like that for, for next time. After the Olympics is over and you made it back home to the United States, what was the homecoming like? I went back straight to California. So it was just like, whatever, nobody was there really. But then I come back to Colorado and it was, it was so cool because I just miss my family so much. And so seeing them was just the greatest thing. And they're all so proud and just so excited. And um, my little brother, he lives in Fort Collins because he goes to college. So it's like an hour and a half, almost two hour drive. And he drove down to come see me. And I was, I was just so excited. And all the kids are there. I brought them little gifts from Japan too. So they were so excited. So in the world championships, you have a top finish of fifth. Are you planning on going back and competing again? Oh, absolutely. I will definitely not be finishing like that. That's, that's not not ideal at all. I definitely am going to come back with a medal in, in some point in my career. And it may not be today or tomorrow or, you know, these next games, but it will be at some point, and that's just something I need to do. And for right now, at least, it, it's, my off season in track and um because this is the first time in history where um the summer olympics and the in the the winter olympics will be within seven months of each other mm-hmm. i am actually going to be trying snowboarding outstanding i hear this fire in your voice i can definitely tell you were born to be an athlete um what do you love most about competing i think i just love that it it's the people that are the best you know you're not running against people who, you know, suck. You're there, you make a final, and you're like, these are the best in the world, and I'm in that group. And so just to realize you're in that group, uh, to be classified as part of the best in the world, or to even be called a Paralympian is still crazy to me. I, I can't believe that's real. And it, it's just an amazing feeling, and I'm just extremely competitive. Grew up that way. I have two younger brothers. It was always, well... You suck at basketball. Well, 
you suck at baseball. Well, I'm going to beat you at everything. So grew up like that, and now it's just, you know, I want to win. I want to be the best at everything. And obviously it takes time and had this humbling experience to know that it's going to take a lot more work. Are you the same ruthless competitor at board games? Oh, definitely. <laughs> so obviously you're a top-level competitor. How do you stay in shape? Staying in shape is pretty easy when you've got the right team. I have a group of three people that are team Beatrice, but, you know, body made by them. Uh, <laughs> I've got Coach Max, who's my track and field coach. So he, you know, works on my technique, my form. He, you know, makes all my workout plans. So it really starts with him, and he absolutely destroys me on the track. We're just running to the point where I think I'm going to puke sometimes. <laughs> and so he'll kill me on the track. But then we've also got my strength training coach, which is Gustavo, and he will just teach me new things in the gym. I start Olympic lifts and um, – my cleans are pretty good now, not to brag. Mm. <laughs> but then after Goose, we've got Sally, and Sally's my nutritionist. And so she tells me what's the best for me to eat, and she actually will run. Like, will send me off to do tests in my blood, tell me, you know, okay, you need more iron, you need more vitamin D, or all this other stuff. So it's actually a lot that goes into it. Mm. Um and they're, they're the whole little team. That's awesome. You sound like you should have all the ingredients for like a Rocky montage or something. <laughs> we should so. make one of those. You should. I bet it would get a huge audience. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So with the Olympics behind us, Simone Biles made history as she stepped back from competing to take care of her mental health. As an athlete who is expected to perform at the highest level, do you feel that there is not enough of an emphasis or attention given to an athlete's mental health? Yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize how tough it is being a professional athlete. I mean, we're all guilty of it. At some point, you're sitting there watching the football game. Oh, come on. He should have made that catch. It's like, could you have made that catch? No, probably not. This guy made this this error because he's playing with somebody who could throw that ball pretty damn hard. So it's just like, everybody's guilty of it. You you get upset when you watch TV. You're like, oh, man, he shouldn't have missed it or he overthrew the ball or stuff like that. And people just will make comments like that. And I did, too, when I And now I look back and I'm like, no. You know, we, we don't know what it would be like catching a ball coming in that fashion. You don't know what it would be like performing gymnastics. Gymnastics is insanely dangerous. There's no way I could do it. So, like... I think a lot of people don't even keep that in mind that it's a lot harder than it looks. And these people are just so good at their craft. They perfected it to the point where they make it look so easy that people are just assuming it's easy. As a female athlete competing now on the world stage, what advice would you give young girls looking at a future in athletics? The advice I would give them is that no matter what anybody tells you, no matter who doubts you, it doesn't matter if they in your family, if they're in your friend group, if they doubt you, use that. Use that to prove them wrong, that you can do anything that you want to do. And it doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how strong you are. That As long as you put your mind to it and you work hard for it, you want it bad enough, 
you can do it. Do you ever go onto YouTube and watch videos of yourself competing? Not very often because I'll sit there and I'm like rooting for myself on the outcome. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is just <laughs> extra stress right now. I don't need, and I already know what place I come in. So I always like to ask one fun question. What shows or music are you into right now? Um, I'm into a lot of different shows, but ever since I moved out to California, my strength training coach had gotten me into anime. Mm -hmm. And so it was perfect timing for Japan. My favorite show that I had watched was Naruto. And I even had my nails, Naruto theme, and the people in Japan loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, The music that I listen to, it'll depend. It, It can range from, you know, Enrique Iglesias and Bad Bunny to Drake. So it's just a little diverse, I guess. Okay, big question. What does the immediate future hold for Beatrice? Hopefully a lot of success. Well, at least snowboarding-wise. Track and field-wise, we won't be competing for a little while. I don't know when our first track meet again will be, especially with COVID and stuff. It makes it so tough. Mm -hmm. But... Track and field, I think I should be com- er, competing maybe like by March or like April. And then for snowboarding, I think my first competition will probably be in like November or December. So after all your competition is done and you finally retire, what would you like to do for a career? But I'm not sure yet. I I love being around athletes. And I, I'm not sure if I would 100% want to be a coach and go through the stress of it all over mm. again. But I definitely think, you know, that would be kind of cool. I don't really have my life set out yet because, you know, I thought I did when I was in high school and it definitely didn't work out the way I thought it would. So at one point I was like, you know, we're going to go with the flow and just do whatever it is that I want to do. And so far it's like, I'm just going to try to take some real estate classes, do that. And I don't really know what I want to do when I retire. I think my my dream be such a great athlete and pick up a lot of sponsors to the point where I won't have to work when right. I retire as an athlete. As we begin to wind down this interview, can you please tell my listeners how best to follow your adventures online? Yes, of course. Um, so I've got my Instagram account, and it is... B hat, so B H A T Z underscore track. And then uh, my Twitter handle is just Beatrice Hat too. So I end my interviews with my favorite question. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Just learn to be better, to be kind, that there's just so much bad in this world and it is caused by people. There's, you know, And I think if overall the human race was just kinder to each other, if we stopped as much hate, it would be a lot nicer here and a lot easier to dream. People can't have big dreams because other people will bring them down. And I think if we were all just a little nicer ourselves in other people's shoes. But, you know, the same thing is asking for world peace and it probably won't happen. Beatrice. Thanks ever so much for taking the time to come on the show. I know you are absolutely super busy. This has been an absolute treat. Um, My listeners, I'm sure, join me in wishing you all the success. And for me personally, just freaking kill it in snowboarding, okay? 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate you inviting me onto your show and letting me answer. Okay, thank you. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 57. I know, right? I want to thank Beatrice for taking the time of her very busy schedule to make an appearance on the show. If you haven't had the chance yet, check out some of her stuff on Instagram. It's truly, truly inspiring. I'm not one to spoil upcoming appearances, but for the next three weeks, the Derek Duvall Show has got some absolutely amazing guests scheduled for release. And let's just say the episode dropping on June the 6th, if you know me and you know how big of a World War II buff I am, then you will get a hint of how amazing that episode is going to be. We will have another fun episode of Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies coming out this week. I believe we are going to be taking a look at one of Mindy's favorite films this week. And if you know us, it's going to be a very interesting release. Be sure to look for that in the next coming days. On behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you, be safe, be well, and get your vaccine. COVID numbers are creeping up again, so let's just do our part. Nosta, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.